this morning. We are in Matthew 6, uh, and we're going to be in Matthew 6, 5 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. We'll have it up on the screen. If you want a Bible and want to follow along in a hard copy and don't have one, you can grab one on that welcome table in the back as well. Uh, Just 5 through 8. I, I turned it on. Okay. Tricked me. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Guys, I got to be honest with you. Uh, Jesus was rewriting this story, this sermon with me last night after the crushing Vanderbilt baseball loss. So uh, I'm I'm confident where we're going to end. We're going to end uh, the sermon here at the communion table, and we're going to we're going to talk about that. That everything we're talking about this morning is driving. I, some Vanderbilt fans are here just shaking their heads. It was tragic. Uh, but we're used to it because we're Vanderbilt fans. So everything about the sermon this morning is driving us here to the communion table. And all of the ways we're going to get there, I'll just tell you, I'm pretty sure about some of them. So we'll see what happens. Uh, But I want to start this morning by asking, how many of you uh, got a senior superlative in high school? Yeah, put those hands up proud. Okay, we got a lot of senior superlatives winners, winners here this morning. If you guys don't know what a senior superlative is, it's when uh, you got your yearbook as a senior and there was someone who was uh, most likely to succeed or best to take home to mom or dad, best smile. You know those, what I'm talking about now? Is everyone with me? Okay. Um, will you raise your hand one more time if you got one of those? Yes, you've been waiting for someone to ask you what I'm about to ask you. What did you get it for? What was your senior superlative? Shout some of them out for me. Most likely to be a rapper. Okay, I see you. Yes. What else we got? No one's going to top that, but we'll try. Most humble. Most humble. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, get a little spicy this morning. <laughs> Helpful. Huggable, most huggable. Yes. <laughs> That's better than most humble. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> Hopeless romantic. Yeah, not Emily. Yes. Uh, Most hopeless romantic. Give me one or two more. Friendliest. Yes. Second most likely. That's someone who went to a small school and everyone had to get an award, right? So you tiered it. Okay. Uh, Okay, we remember these things though, right? When we get them, those superlatives. And then that also means there are some of us who did not get senior superlatives. Am I right? Can, 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 will you raise your hand? Yes, that is true for some of us. And if you did not, do you remember any of the people who did? Okay. Yes, of course. I see one person shaking their head no. Props to you. You're amazing. Because I remember who won most likely to be president. It was Gates Niblis and Ksenia Astakova. And none of them, neither of them have been president yet. So 
I didn't care about that at all, right? I didn't want to win one. No, we, we, that is like stuck in my mind because uh, that kind of stuff, as much as we say that it doesn't matter, it does matter to us, doesn't it? Because what you're saying with a senior, a senior superlative is that, <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this, uh, is that, that someone has no, it's someone who's noticed, it's someone who's seen, that lots of people see that person, they notice them, and they notice things about them, and they value something about them. That's what a senior superlative is about. And that desire to be seen is deep inside of all of us. And that is what our passage is about this morning. The passage that we are in this morning is about our deep, eternal desire to be seen. And you may think that we are in a sermon series about prayer. And we are. We will get there. Okay? But for us to get where God is taking us about prayer, we've got to acknowledge our deep and desperate desire to be seen. And that desire to be seen, it starts all the way back when we're infants. I said this last week, it was, it was from this guy, Kurt Thompson. He says, we come into the world looking for someone who is looking for us, babies who are hungry for eye contact. You see it with little kids, like Banks. In the last two weeks, my two-year-old has moved into the phase where he starts saying, daddy, watch this. Watch this, watch this, watch this. And what he's, he's not just saying, like, visually pass your eyes over what I'm doing. He's saying, pay attention to me. And then he does, like, a cool dance move. And he looks at me and says, wasn't that cool? Was that cool, Daddy? Because it's not only notice me, but it's value me. And eventually that changes from wanting our parents to do that to wanting our friends to do that, that senior superlatives, to then wanting a, a romantic partner to do that. Do you see me? Do you value me? And then, for some of us, you get married, and then you never care about anybody seeing you ever again. No, of course that's not true. That those desires to be seen, it never leaves us. It's always with us, driving us forward. Do you see me? And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Because there's a reward attached to being seen. Like I said, it's not just being noticed, but it's being valued. That's what our hearts are after. And one of the primary ways we learn to be seen is by displaying our righteousness for other people. It's one of the ways we learn to be seen is by displaying our righteousness for other people. And guys, we love this passage when Jesus like comes after hip hypocrites. We're all like, yeah, get them, Jesus. You know, those people standing out there on the street corners praying. Everyone loves that about, even people who don't love Jesus love that about Jesus. Those religious people over there showing off. And, but what is true is we all do this. 
We are all people who perform our morality. That what we do is we look for the people around us and we think, what are the values that are important around us? And once I can identify those values, I want to live those values and I want to live those values in a way that you see me living those values. Because I want you to see me as the kind of person who is a good person who embodies those values. I was talking to a friend the other day who was in middle school. And he was talking about, we were talking about the, the walkouts that happened around gun control. And I was asking him about, God, what, what was going on there? And he said, about 50% of me wanted to do the walkout because I really cared about the issue. And about 50% of me wanted to do the walkout because I wanted to be seen as the kind of person who would do a walkout on this issue. Like, yes. He was just honest enough to say what is happening in all of us all the time, religious or not, secular, spiritual, however you frame it, we are all performing our morality for other people. That we notice the values around us and we perform those values. Of course we do. And what we have to acknowledge is those values are often good things. Right? Jesus, when he's talking about prayer here, the conclusion isn't, so you know what, just don't pray. All these people who are praying, hypocrites on the corners and the synagogues, the solution, just don't pray at all. No, that's not it. But he's saying, let's talk about what's happening in our hearts then, and let's redirect that. Let's address that. But when we're honest with ourselves, we are often, all of us, performing our morality for other people. And Jesus calls that out because he loves us so much. What he says about that is, beware. Beware, because you're gonna get what you're looking for. Beware that if you're performing your morality for other people, you're gonna get what you're looking for, which is other people are gonna recognize you. They're gonna see you as a good person, and that's gonna become a trap for you. And your goodness or your perception of your own goodness is gonna become something that limits you and your interaction with God. Because when you become known as something, what happens is you stop being known. When you become someone who is seen as something, you stop being seen. Have any of you watched the new John Mulaney comedy special? A few of you, okay. So John Mulaney is this hilarious comedian whose life utterly fell to shambles. That his addiction got way out of control. And this comedy special is him talking about his addiction. And it is devastating and hilarious at the same time. And one of the most poignant pieces of that for me was hearing him talk about what it was like to go into rehab, this in-person rehab center. And he was acknowledging that when he got into his, his group therapy group and this in-person in, you know, in rehab, uh, that when he introduced himself to the group, he introduced himself as John M. Because he's famous, you know? He's like, I don't want people to, you know, ah, just John M., but then the longer he was there at rehab, the more he realized nobody knew who he was and nobody cared. They were there to interact with him as a person. And it was devastating to him. He talked about how he actually went and bought, a, well, I don't think he didn't go and buy a newspaper because he couldn't leave, but he got a newspaper, okay? And he, he found the newspaper where it talked about him and his time in rehab in the newspaper. He opened to that page and then he left it out so that other people could come across it and recognize that he was the guy in the newspaper who's famous. 
I, I almost, I feel awkward talking about this as if I'm like sharing someone's personal secrets, but he shared it on Netflix, okay? So, <laughs> what he was saying, what he was admitting is that he had this desperate desire to be seen and known. But because he had become a person who was known as, seen as, there was this barrier now separating him from the very thing that he most desperately desired. And that's what Jesus is pulling back the curtain on for us here. He's saying, hey, beware if you perform your morality for other people because if you start to become known as a good person, that's gonna be a trap to you, a snare for you. And you're gonna become blinded by yourself and to who God is because you're gonna be so caught up in performing your righteousness for other people. And it is especially dangerous in prayer. Think about what prayer is. We've been talking about this, right? Prayer is us uh, learning, when, we're, when we learn to pray, we're learning the grammar of relationship with God. That prayer is us responding to the God who has come and is speaking to us. But if that, if that sacred thing, if that special thing starts to become about other people seeing us, Right, then prayer has moved out of this thing that's between us and God and, and is now trying to shape other people's perceptions. P- prayer, the very access that we need uh, to be seen by God, uh, it gets twisted and becomes something totally different. And now prayer itself becomes a barrier for us getting in touch with God. Here's what we need to know about God in the midst of all of that. That our God is the God who sees. That even when we cannot see straight, even when we can't see him, even when we are focused on our seeing him actually being about other people seeing us, even in all of those places, God sees, he sees us, he sees you. In Genesis 16, 13, when Hagar, there's a whole backstory here, but this woman who's been driven out of her family, she's with her son in the wilderness and she's about to die and God meets her and he cares for her in that moment. What she says, she names God. She says, God is a God who sees. He sees me. This comes up again in Exodus 2 when the people of Israel are enslaved to the Egyptians and it says that the, their, their cry for rescue came up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He saw them. But our God is a God who sees. And guys, it is nowhere more evident than in Jesus' life that our Jesus is a Jesus who saw people who saw people in a way that no one else could see them. And we know those stories of, um, a lot of us know those stories of Jesus interacting with people who are, who are broken, who are downcast, and, and we can see Jesus having compassion on them. We can see Jesus seeing them, and, and it moves us, it melts us. But there's also, Jesus also saw uh, hardened, self-righteous people in the exact same way. There's this story in Mark 10 of Jesus with the person that we know as the rich young ruler. A person who was seen as, a person who was seen as rich, who was seen as young, and even in his conversations with Jesus, postures himself as incredibly spiritual. This person who 
is seen as having everything. And because of that, has started to see himself that way. And yet, he has a deep sense inside of himself that, that's not, that something is not right. Because he comes to Jesus and says, what do I need, what, he says, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He knows there is something missing in my righteousness and all of the things that I am seen as, something is, something is off. And Mark 10, 21 says this, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That Jesus looked at him and he saw him. didn't say Jesus saw through him. Jesus saw him. Looking at him, loved him. That Jesus saw this man who was so wrapped up in how everyone else saw him, someone who was known as rich, known as young, known as spiritual, known as powerful. Jesus saw all of that and he saw threw it to the heart of the man and he looked at that man and he loved him. He had compassion for him in the midst of his lostness. Jesus looking at him loved him. Our Jesus is the ultimate seer. And that is the reality that invites us into prayer. There's this author uh, who talks about these rituals that he has with his kids. And he says that, that before his kids go to bed every night, he has this kind of liturgy he does with them. And the first question he asks them is, do you see me? And then he asks them, do you see me seeing you? Do you see me? Do you see me seeing you? That's prayer. Is seeing God. And then when we see God, we see the one who is seeing us. That God is saying to us when we pray, do you see me? And when you see God rightly, when you see God as, as we know him to be, He says, do you see me then seeing you? And what what we have to know about God to be able to come into that place of prayer, what brings us into that place of prayer in the first place, this kind of place of, of truly Christian prayer, of seeing the God who sees us, is that what you have to know is how much your Jesus loves you. Because you can know that God is real, that God is powerful, that God is majestic, that God is holy, But if you don't see that that God is loving, you will never love him. All you will ever do is hate being in his presence. Because all of who God is will be a threat to you. Not but friends, your Jesus loves you desperately. He loves you so much that he did not see through you that he saw you. And he saw you so clearly that he was willing to go to the cross for you because he knew what it would take to restore your relationship with God. That he saw you and he loved you so much that when he hung on the cross, his last, some of his last words were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That what he was willing to experience on your behalf, on our behalf, was the father turning his face away. 
that he experienced the most terrifying thing we could experience in the presence of God, which is God turning his face away from us, which is us being alone. And Jesus experienced that aloneness so that when you come into God's presence in prayer, you never have to experience that. That you can be confident that when you come into God's presence that God sees you, that you are seeing the one who saw you before you were even born. But God is asking us, do you see me? Do you see me seeing you? So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues, the street corners, they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They've received other people seeing them. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret, who sees in secret, will will reward you. One of the commentators I read this week, he said this, he said, the the secret to religion is religion in secret. But that's what Jesus is pulling back the curtain on for us here. That us praying in a service is not unbiblical, by the way. That's like an okay thing that we did that. What Jesus is warning us against is having that be the primary place that we pray is when we perform for other people. He says, no, let's take you into the quiet place, the secret place of you alone with God. Jesus is teaching us how to pray in that place. When you pray, go into your room. These people lived in houses that didn't have a lot of rooms, right? But they did have storerooms, like basically like pantries where they could lock their food up. So Jesus says, go into that room. And you know, not like our pantries, or at least some of our pantries, some of your pantries, right? Like where the light comes on when you open the door. and That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking dirt floor. Like this is where you keep your sustenance. And Jesus says, go into that room, shut the door, lock it. Be alone. Which, that's a crazy, that's an outrageous thing to say. That for people who are so desperate to be seen by other people, what Jesus is saying, in your desperation to be seen, what you need to do is go away from all the people who are seeing you. Shut the door. Get alone. And be seen by your Father who, who is seeing you. See the one who is seeing you. And he says this, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Another you could say as the pagans do. (laughs) For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. What Jesus is inviting us into there is silence before God. You know that silence before God can be a form of prayer? Like, think about this. Jesus, we've got these pictures in the Gospels of him withdrawing by himself to pray. There were times where Jesus went by himself and prayed, like, all night. Like, do you ever wonder what Jesus was saying all night to God? What this tells us is that Jesus probably was not speaking the whole time. That there is a point in that, in those long nights of prayer where Jesus himself was silent. He's inviting us into that kind of being before God, which for us is absolutely terrifying. 
There's this pastor, Frederick Beekner, who had this to say about the way that we speak. He said, the way this world works, people are very apt to use the words they speak not so much as a way of revealing, but rather as a way of concealing who they really are and what they really think. And that is why more than a few moments of silence with people we do not know well are apt to make us so tense and uneasy. That's why we have those guidelines in small group, you know? Silence is okay, silence. But you felt it if you've been in a small group with us where it gets quiet and you're like, oh my gosh, how long is this gonna go on, you know? A few moments of silence with people we do not know well are apt to make us so tense and uneasy. Stripped of our verbal camouflage, we feel unarmed against the world and vulnerable. So we start babbling about anything just to keep the silence at bay. But if we can bear to let it be, silence, of course, can be communion at a very deep level indeed. Stripped of our verbal camouflage, we feel unarmed against the world and vulnerable. So we start babbling about anything just to keep the silence at bay. But if we can bear to let it be, silence, of course, can be communion at a very deep level indeed. And that's true with God, isn't it? Like when you have done the work to fight to be alone and be quiet before God, which by itself is an amazing feat. That what can pour out of us is just a lot of, just a lot of talking to God. Just talk, 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 talk. And that can be mentally, could be out loud, could be in our own hearts, just that busyness, the franticness. Talk, 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 talk. Because that's how we are constantly living, is using our words as shields. The invitation of Jesus here is to put down those shields, to stop babbling, babbling on and on and on. To be silent before God, to hear his question, do you see me? Do you see me seeing you? And then to let that reality drive whatever happens next. On a very practical level, I just want to talk about what that could look like. Right? One of the things we've talked about a little bit this summer is that uh, we're inviting you to kind of pray the Psalms with us. I don't know who the us is. I'm inviting you. We're inviting you. We're inviting each other to pray the Psalms along with each other, right? So there are bookmarks. You can grab it on your way out. It's on the, there are a lot of things on the table in the back if you haven't caught this. But one of them is a bookmark, another bookmark that has the Psalms. So you can pray the Psalms along with us. And if you haven't started, you can just, you can grab one and just start. And, and, the Psalms are such a, such a gift to us as we learn how to approach God in silence. And let me just walk you through how this could look for you, how this sometimes looks for me. Uh, first is, it, it could be in the morning, it could be in the evening, both, that's also on the bookmark, uh, is finding some time to be silent with God. Like sit still and be quiet, which can be very challenging. <laughs> sometimes I gotta compromise on the quiet, right? That's okay. For me to be still and for me to start to get quiet, for us to start to get quiet, a really good way to do that is to just take some deep breaths. Because quietness is something that, that it has to do with, with our minds, with our hearts, and with our bodies. And that kind of deep breathing allows us to, our bodies to be still and quiet. And as our bodies slow down and get quiet, then we get to engage our minds with our bodies. 
I encourage you to ask the question, what am I feeling right now? And to note those things. Like, oh, I feel my knees on the ground. I feel my back in the couch. Uh, I feel uh, my, like my shirt sitting on my arms. And as you are noting to yourself what you are feeling, what you will also start to notice is what you are feeling in your body. Like I'm feeling tightness in my chest. Yeah, note that. Because often our feelings, man, our, like our emotions manifest themselves in physical ways. And that allows our minds and our bodies and in our hearts to all start to come together in this place of stillness. And then from that place of stillness, uh, I would invite you to read a psalm. It doesn't matter if the psalm speaks exactly to where you are on any given day. That's okay, because the psalm is true. So from that place of stillness, you can read the psalm as a prayer to God. And I would just tell you, there are times where um, I can't get my mind or my heart to be still until I start actually praying the psalm. Great. And as you pray through it, you could pray it out loud, you can pray it silently, you can murmur it or mutter it, and you may start to realize that as you do that, your mind starts to wander somewhere else. That's okay. You just bring it back. And go back to directing that psalm up to God, prayer to God. And when you finish, um, you can be silent. It may be that as you've prayed through it, there's a, a word or a phrase that sticks out to you that you come back to you and you meditate on that phrase before God. That's praying. This happened to me last week. The word that I came back to was just the opening of the psalm. Oh, Lord. And hang out with whatever it is that sticks out to you silently before God. Or it could be that the psalm then opens up other requests in you, things that you want to ask God for. It could be that it opens up in you a confession to the Lord, that you read something, you think, oh, I've got sin to confess because of what I've read. Yes, something to praise God for, something to thank God for. That from that place of stillness and quiet before God, then we're free to move out into relationship, like to push out into the ocean of relationship with a God who is infinite and eternal. And to experience the God who sees us. To behold the one who was beholding us before time began and was beholding us with love in his eyes. Because that's what we are doing when we come to the communion table. We're getting a chance to come to the one who has come to us. And we're going to make space here in the service uh, for you to, to slow down. So the way this will work is that there will be three, we'll play three songs when I get done up here. Um, and as you are ready, you can come to the table. And take your time. Uh, when you're ready to receive the elements, you can hold out your hands. If you want prayer, when you come to the table, just cross your arms. Because there are times where we are coming to God in the quiet of our own hearts when we need to be encouraged. When the accusations against us or the words in our own hearts or, or, the, or the noise in us is so loud that we need someone else to step into that journey with us to encourage us or to speak what's true over us. If you need that this morning, yes, bring it. Ask for the prayer. I encourage you, use this time to engage with the Lord and to recognize that what we bring to God when we come to him in prayer, we don't bring our best selves. We don't bring us as we would like God to see us. We don't bring our senior superlatives. We lay those at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> and all the other superlatives that we have crafted and carried on our own shoulders for so long. 
We put those things down, put those prisons down. We leave those prisons when we come here to the table to experience the one, to be seen by the one who's seeing us. That's why this table is a place of repentance, that we're acknowledging, oh God, all these good things that I think I have done to please you, to get something from you, they all count for nothing before you. God, forgive me. And all of the things that I am so aware of, all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt that sits on me, that separates me from you, God, I come and I lay that before you. I repent of it, and I trust that you see me even better than I see myself, that even in that, you have compassion on me. You love me. You are moved toward me. And if you were not willing to come and say that to the Lord, then this table is not for you right now. So if you are not in Christ, you're not coming to him in repentance, then we would encourage you, man, stay where you are and pray. Interact with this God who sees you uh, and is looking for you, is looking for you to look at him. Do that first before you would come to this table. This is for people who are saying, no, I'm willing to come and be seen by him. Now, if you're not willing to bring your whole self and allow your whole self to be seen by Jesus, then this table is not for you right now. There's a warning. Paul says that when we come to God, but we don't bring our whole selves, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Because our Jesus is a Jesus who sees all of us, who loves all of us, is inviting us to bring all of us to him. And if you are willing to do that this morning, then come with all of your doubts, with all of your fears, with all of the guilt, with all of the shame. Bring it all up here, because he wants to meet with you. I'm going to read these uh, words of institution for us. And then I'm going to read a, a psalm for us to kind of bring us into this time. So this is out of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, we are desperate for you to see us, desperate to be seen by you. Uh, Lord, we come to you trusting in your promise that that is true, that you love us and that you see us. We pray that as we come to the table that you would give us an experience of that this morning.